Let's look to the Lord in prayer. So, Father, now, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. You are a powerful God. And we thank you, Father, that in all experiences of life, from the earliest stages to the latest stages of life, you are God. You are gracious. You are good, and we love you. You sent Jesus to die on a cross to save us from our sins. An angel spoke truth into the heart of a young lady at a very, very early stage of her own life that she would be with child. A surprising motherhood to be mentored by a, a relative, Elizabeth. And you brought the sisterhood of motherhood together in that relationship. And then as she stood at that cross and watched her son die in our place for our sins, lo and behold, you allowed for your son Jesus Christ to look down upon her and upon the Apostle John and say, Behold your mother. And then subsequent to our Lord's ascension to heaven, we find in that upper room, Jesus' mother in prayer, waiting upon the Holy Spirit, seeking, Father, your will. So, Father, what we want to do now as we come together in the second of these three services today is to seek you. Her as a model in many ways. She experienced the extremes of life. She understood motherhood, and she understood the sisterhood of motherhood. She processed gains, and she processed losses. And through it all, she waited upon you. And this morning, we wait upon you, and we seek you, and we turn to you. So, Father, in the sum total of life experiences and relationship to mothers today on this Lord's Day, Warm these hearts and engage these minds and shape these wills. As again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus, Him only. And we're praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. When Barbara Bush was standing before the class, the graduating class of Wellesley College, during the 1990 commencement, she shared these poignant words. At the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. But you will regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, or a parent. And wanting to connect the dots, I pulled together what she shared in their commencement speech with her own graduation commencement speech, whereas she was facing those final moments here on earth 
she would utter these words to her son, Jeb Bush. Jeb, I believe in Jesus, and he is my Savior. I don't want to leave your dad, but I know I will be in a beautiful place. Quote, unquote. There is something powerful and something poignant when you begin to process words of wisdom that come from a heart of wisdom, particularly a heart of wisdom that has faced the extremes of life, the challenges of life, and yet at the same time, from beginning to end, offer perspective on how to live life. This morning, what I want to do is to get our arms around that powerful opening statement, the wisest of women builds her house, and begin to construct something from these 18 verses that I think will help us to better, first of all, honor our mothers this morning, if you have your mother still physically with you, then an opportunity to give thanks for the wisdom that's here And if she is no longer with you, the opportunity to honor her legacy and give thanks to God for lessons from legacies and how they impact our own personal sense of Christ's lordship in our lives. So I want to draw out this morning three significant lessons that are found in verse 1 down to verse 18 that come under the umbrella of the wisest of women. Three lessons, and the first we're going to utilize from verse 1 down to verse 7, that first of all, the wisest of women instruct us in what I'll call the disciplines we need, the disciplines we need to establish throughout life. Now, there are a number of various disciplines found in these verses, but we've got to get our arms around this whole idea of wisdom found in that opening statement. The wisest of women. We're not merely talking about wisdom. Now we're talking about the wisest of women. So where do we begin with this whole subject? Well, once again, I, as I try to do whenever I'm involved in studying and communicating, teaching from the book of Proverbs, I want to pause and be able to develop that understanding of wisdom with you because it comes from the Hebrew word chokmah. Chokmah, which means literally masterful understanding, skill, expertise. Now, what this woman wants to be able to communicate, not merely to the next generation, but through multiple generations, is how you, first of all, develop your disciplines with an understanding of masterful understanding, skill, expertise, in your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. We want to explore wisdom now as it relates to the disciplines of life to get us started. Think about the discipline of Mary. How even in that upper room, the discipline of prayer was stamped upon her own spiritual experience. 
So now we begin that the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Now what I want you to do, and you might want to jot this down somewhere along the way, is that when you are studying the book of Proverbs, or you're teaching from the book of Proverbs, chapters 10 through 15 are known as the contrastive Proverbs. And by that I mean you will find that little word B-U-T repeated again and again and again. And the question then is why? What the proverb, the proverbial writer wants you and me to be able to understand is that through contrast in life, we gain clarity in life. A mother says, that's a dog, and that's a cat, you see. Or in the moral realm, that is right and that is wrong. Or in the doctrinal realm, that is true and that is false. In the earliest stages of cultivating what I will call a culture of wisdom in the home, the wisest of women knows the value of contrast because contrast produces clarity. And in a confusing world of grayness, what we desperately need is a sense of clarity to be able to handle life's journeys well. Now, notice how this begins with this first of the contrasts. The wisest of women builds her house that is constructive. But folly with her own hands tears it down. That's destructive. What is interesting is that both in the constructive and in the destructive realms, the same physical tools are used, the hands. The woman of wisdom is constructive, while the woman of folly is destructive. Now what you and I have got to bear in mind is that God has equipped you and equipped me to become people of wisdom, allowing our hearts, our minds, and souls to be so saturated with wisdom so that when you are facing a crisis in life, and some of us have over the course of these days, when you're faced challenges in life, when you have to overcome obstacles in life, you're going to have to use chokmah, masterful understanding, skill, expertise, in order to ask, am I prepared to respond to that word? Am I prepared to respond to that event constructively? Or through impulsiveness, will I respond destructively? And I typically find that there is something about timing that is associated with wisdom. When you are proactive rather than reactive with wisdom and you have been cultivating within your own heart and with your own home wisdom, well then, when all of a sudden immediacy requires response, the heart of wisdom is revealed. 
Are you cultivating a culture of wisdom within your own heart before you even cultivate it within your own home? Because constructive as compared and contrasted to destructive are at the get-go of this journey called life that's described here in verse 1. So now, how do you, and I'm still on verse 1, how do you then become, and I'll talk to moms at this moment, the wisest of the wise? Well, now, let's take, for example, Mary. Mary, when she is giving birth to Jesus Christ, responds with what's known as the Magnificat, doesn't she? It's an incredible musical composition. Now, she's been mentored, she's been discipled by Elizabeth. It's what I call the sisterhood of motherhood. But what fascinates me is that she has also been discipled, mentored, by a woman of the Old Testament by the name of of Hannah, who her own surprising awareness of a birth of a child by the name of Samuel, what you will find is that Hannah's prayer is described in 1 Samuel chapter 2, is the foundation for Mary's prayer and song in the book of Luke. Many of the same phrases, many of the same words. And you say, Gary, what do I do with that? What I'm saying is you can use the past to shape the present. You can draw upon the wisdom of the past and build a bridge in the contemporary issues of the present. Read good biographies of people from the past, but build a bridge and asking, what principles do I find there that can be worked out in 2018 living? But not only do you do it historically, but also I want you to do it relationally. Check out the prior chapter, chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. I'm heading to the hospital, leaving the office. Seems like it's my my ongoing daily journey, and as I'm leaving, I notice a group of nurses making their way down the street. It's the lunch hour. They're discussing a patient and how they're going to respond to the need. I know a few of them. Not only is this the sisterhood of motherhood, There is, at the same time, wisdom in the workplace. And they are coupling, they are connecting all these elements now in their conversation. And what strikes me is that not only do you draw wisdom historically relating past to present, you also draw wisdom relationally because he who walks with the wise grows wise becomes wise. So now, who are you walking with? Mothers this morning. Who are you putting the miles in with? And are you bringing together what I will call wise walkers in this life journey so that in the give and the take and when you are beginning to evaluate next decisions to be made, next crisis to be addressed, 
Is your approach constructive or is your approach destructive? As you draw upon the historical and simultaneously you're drawing upon the relational, he who walks with the wise becomes wise. And men, we can learn from this as well, you know. So practically speaking, who's your walking partner? In this journey called life, you see. Chokmah. Masterful understanding, skill, expertise. Now you're up to verse 2, of course. And whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord. A lot of people get tripped up on that one, don't they? Because they see fear and they don't see the Lord. But if you start where you need to start, where you allow the end to shape the beginning... You realize the Lord is the Hebrew word Yahweh. That is the personal relation, no name for God. So now, using that idea to fear the Lord, what he's saying is that this is reverential relational. Yahweh is relational. Fears. Reverential. Reverential relational aspects to a culture of wisdom that begins in the heart and makes its way out into the home not only impacts this generation, but impacts subsequent generations as well. So now we're building a case here for what do you do with wisdom? Well, now what you're going to need to do is to cultivate the sense of the disciplines of life. Take, for example, the discipline of speech in verse 3. The wisest of women understands that when you are talking about speech, you're going to have to use speech to talk about speech. And furthermore, we've got a record of speech, all of our previous words. So when we talk about the disciplines of speech, we've got to ponder what about our own disciplines of speech when we emphasize that discipline? Well, now notice here, we are told that by the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. And now you're into anatomy. Mouth, back. And the rod there was used as a discipline and it was also used in worst case scenarios for abuse. There is self-abuse when we are undisciplined with our tongue, but there is discipline that now is revealed through wisdom, through the right use of the tongue. Martin Niemöller, during his experience of captivity during World War II, was a man that had been incredibly shaped by both of his parents. His mother was known as a woman of wisdom. After his release from captivity, he was speaking in Boston. And he was asked to share about his time in his Nazi concentration camp experience. A student recalling that event says, I remember after he spoke, the reporters went away in disgust, saying, quote, all those months in a concentration camp, and all he can talk about is Jesus. And when I read that, I went back to the writings about his life 
and reminded myself of where that ability to communicate what matters most came from. And there was a culture of wisdom that was being expressed through his lips because it was possessed within his heart. Now, what is possessed in your heart will be expressed by your lips. And so there is a connectedness in chokmah between the internals and the externals of life. And the wisest of the wise understands you can't disconnect the internal from the external because the lips reveal what the heart values. A demolar is like that. Next to my bedstand, there's always a biography there. John Adams, second president of the United States, walked a friend to a great hall where he found a bust of George Washington, the other of Adams, tapped his king on the closed lips of Washington. And then he said, quote, that fellow knew how to keep his mouth shut. And then using the cane to tap his lips, Adams said, and this fool doesn't. Now, when you are cultivating what I will call a culture of wisdom, the heart precedes the home. It starts in the heart and works itself out into the home. It starts in this generation and precedes, proceeds into the next generation. And so now you have opportunity to create, I will call, a legacy of living like what Jeb Bush will now process when he hears those last words from his mother about the assurance of salvation she has based upon the work of her Savior, Jesus Christ. Her words of wisdom. And words of wisdom, particularly in poignant moments when the ultimate issues of life are confronting us, they're remembered. And they're recalled, and they get related to other people as well. You're on to verse 4, and you say, Gary, I don't have any oxen in my house. Well, I'm glad. Because in verse 4, where there are no oxen, the manger's clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the oxen. You say, don't get it. What's this all about? He's talking still, the proverbial writer is, about discipline. But now he's moving from the lips of the person to the labor of the person. And he's saying, if you're not willing to put in the time and the effort to be industrious, you might have a nice, tidy, clean house, but you're not going to have crops. You're not going to have harvest. There's a price to be paid up front if you're going to have your own startup business, so to speak. And sometimes life gets messy. But in the messiness of it all, if you are investing in the present for results in the future, the result is going to be that there is a harvest that others are going to benefit from. Where there are no oxen, sure, the manger is clean. But you see, abundant crops come by the strength of the oxen. You better get yourself an ox, he's saying here. But now he's back to the lips from lips to labor, back to lips, and now once again the discipline of the words. 
In five, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. And now I'm struck by the dual usage of the word witness, because now he's moving, you see, from the lips to the legal. From lips to labor to legal. Twice utilizing the idea of the witness, but notice the word breathe. You nor I take a lot of time thinking through carefully, am I breathing or am I not? It comes natural. What he wants, this writer wants for you to do via this wisest of women is to be able to understand that truth should come natural rather than unnatural through the lips because it begins within the heart. Now, when you are cultivating biblical truth in the home, it's because you have been cultivating biblical truth within the heart. And now you are cultivating wisdom, masterful understanding, skill, expertise, issues of truth. In his book, Up from Slavery, Booker T. Washington, extraordinary man, reflecting upon his own childhood and background, talks about, to illustrate a point about truth, that following the Civil War, there were a lot of people that went into the teaching profession and traveled from one town to the next to teach. He says, one such man went from village to village, teaching for a while, receiving pay for it. And then get this. As he entered one town, the people asked if he taught that the earth is round or flat. He replied that he was prepared to teach it either way based upon the preference of the majority of his patrons. Now what you and I have got to be able to do within the home is to help people to understand that there is something of stability about truth. Truth and trust go hand in hand. When truth in the home breaks down, trust in the home breaks down. When truth in the nation breaks down, trust in the nation breaks down. Now the wisest of the wise, those that embrace chokmah, understand that there is still another connection to be made here. And now what I'm trying to do with you with chokmah is to help us to be able to grasp the value of both connections and contrasts. What do you connect and what do you contrast? You connect the internals and the externals. You connect one generation to the next. You connect the historical on one side, but also you're walking with the wise, so you grow in wise, the relational on the other side. And what you are doing in the process is you're impacting people around you with the richness of the chokmah of your own life experience. Scoffer seeks wisdom in vain. Why? Well, I would say he has or she has no hook to hang that hat. Jesus would communicate wisdom, but people would walk away from him. Why? They didn't have ears to hear. But knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. So leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. And so this needs to be cultivated in the challenges of life and the extremes of life and the decisions of life that come our way. So what happens in the home is preparation for what takes place outside of the home. 
Harry Truman understood that. I have a book in my library in the parenting section. It's called Letters to Mother. It's a collection of various letters throughout history that people, generals and statesmen and educators and politicians and the likes, had written to their mothers over the course of years. Here's an excerpt of his. Mom, maybe you'd like to know what just happened. We had a long, drawn-out debate in the Senate and finally came to an agreement for a recess at 5 p.m. until Friday, April 13th. When I went back to my office, a call from Sam Rayburn, Speaker of the House, was awaiting me. Sam wanted me to come over to the House side of the Capitol and talk to him about policy and procedure. I went. But as soon as I came into the room, Sam told me that Steve Early, the President's confidential press secretary, wanted to talk to me. I called the White House, and Steve told me to come to the White House as quickly and as quietly as I could. Well, I told Sam I had to go to the White House on a special call and that he should say nothing about it. I ran all the way to my office in the Senate by way of the unfrequented corridors of the Capitol, told my office force that I'd been summoned to the White House and to say nothing about it. When I arrived at the Pennsylvania entrance to the famous house, the most famous house in America, a couple of ushers met me and then took me up to Mrs. Roosevelt's study on the second floor. Mrs. Roosevelt put her arm on my shoulder and said, Harry, the president is dead. It was the only time in my life, Mom, I think, that I ever felt as if I'd had a real shock. I had hurried to the White House to see the president, and when I arrived, I found out I was the president. I need wisdom, Mom. Wisdom. I'm fascinated about where he turned. He turned to the home. You see, the White House requires wisdom. But that Truman House was the preparation for the White House. And the heart preceded the house. And he calls his mom and writes his mom because the wisest of women builds her house. Now I'm going to have to start summarizing verses 8 down through 15. It's Mother's Day and I'm sure there's brunches and all that kind of stuff. But there's a, second, there's a second teaching here. The number two, the wisest of women instruct us in what I'll call the direction we need to take throughout life. Not only the disciplines we need to establish, but the direction we need to take. In other words, the wisest of the wise understands, yes, there's a starting point, but there's also an ending point. And too many people talk about the journey of life and don't talk enough about the destination of life, though Barbara Bush did. And so in verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way. That is a directional statement, this idea of the way. I'm fascinated about the fact that ultimately Jesus ministering to his disciples, would say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
and that the Apostle Paul, when he would be standing on trial, would align himself legally in the ears of those that were listening to this movement known as the Way. <coughs> now, this woman understands very clearly that life deals with a sense of direction, and life with direction has destination. And Hukma people grasp that and make the connection between what I'll call the beginnings and the endings of life. So the Hukma of the prudent, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way. But now, as I said in chapters 10 through 15, these are contrastive proverbs. But the folly of fools is deceiving. Another contrast, verse 9. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. And if you want to deal with contrast at that point, why some mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance, and how this weighs on a mother's heart, ponder the heart of Eve as she looked at the offerings of Cain in contrast to Abel. And think about the contrast that was there and what was going through her mind at that point. And would she be saying to herself, am I responsible for this? And so often you get weighed down by parental responsibility, but you've also got to bear in mind that there's a next generation aspect to responsibility as well. Because in verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. You see that hukma, mother, she understands that maybe the outward looks good, but inward, that child's hurting. Maybe it's an adult child. Maybe it's a young child. But you've got to be able to communicate with chukmah that appearances are deceiving. So you need to cultivate a culture of wisdom. And as your children are processing this, make certain that their expectations are, are rooted in reality. Beverly Sills tells of her children who experience their own sense of impairments in life. One deaf, another is well hindered. In her autobiography at that time, she says, I was now at that point only 34, and in a strange way, my children had brought me an inner peace. The first question I had when I learned of the challenges we would be facing as a family was a self-pitying, why me? But then I gradually changed it to a much more important, but why them? You've been there? Until she reached the point of saying, but why not us? This is a growth in chukmah. When you understand the nature of the world that we've been positioned in. Chukmah. I'm watching time. I want to go to the third of the three disciplines points here on instruction. They come out of verse 15 through 18. That thirdly, the wisest of women instruct us in the distinctions we need to make throughout life. 
We started with the disciplines in 1 through 7. Second of all, the direction in verse 8 through 14. Bearing in mind the direction and a destination need to be held together like a Barbara Bush did. But now thirdly, the distinctions we need to make throughout life. Distinctions. As a child matures, you no longer have to talk about that's a dog and that's a cat. Do you? You know. But as they get older, you have to be able to say that's a German shepherd and that's a beagle. Or that's a lab, you see, and that's a cocker spaniel. What happens as time goes on is that you move from what I will call the contrasts of the obvious through the distinctions of the less than obvious. And what this child will need is more than a manual of how-tos. What this child needs, and I'm a child, is hukmah. The ability to make distinctions when things are now not necessarily clear. Then what? And when I don't have an operating manual to work with. And so you pick it up in verse 15. And the simple believes everything. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. Because as we previously said, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Or as someone who graduated from the same school as me put it, Standing on the sidewalk in front of our house, I waited impatiently for my son and his babysitter to return from their walk. They said they'd only be gone for a few minutes, so I thought to myself, and Chase's dinner was getting cold. When finally I saw their two heads coming over the hill down the block, Chase wearing his bright red baseball hat, Doris with her dark curls, Hurry up, guys. I shouted, waving to get their attention. They waved back without increasing their pace. Remember Doris's leg, I told myself. It was easy to forget about her own physical challenges. She cheerfully went about her work, sometimes joking about her wooden leg. But you see, when she wasn't much older than my son, Doris had been hit by a car. And the doctors in her native Peru had amputated her leg. She'd grown up with an ill-fitting prosthesis that caused her to limp. As Chase and Doris came closer, my restlessness changed to concern. Something's wrong here. Chase is limping. Chase, you all right? I shouted. Did you hurt yourself? My fears eased a bit as Chase let go of Doris's hand, ran to me as fast as his strong little legs could carry him. Mom, Mom, he said, as he began to tell me all the news of his walk with Doris. Chase continued to reassure me that he felt fine as Doris caught up with him. And I questioned her too. Oh, you mean you wonder why he was walking like that, she said, finally understanding the cause for my concern. He always walks that way with me. But why? I asked. So we can be alike, she said, trying to find the words in English to explain. 
but then whoever walks with the wise becomes wise in the disciplines we need, in the direction we need, in the distinctions we need, when all of a sudden things aren't as clear as they were in childhood. And you no longer have that manual. And you're wondering, how do I proceed? Hukmah breaks in. Biblical hukmah. Masterful understanding. Skill. Expertise. As you ponder the words of the one who on that cross looked down upon his mother and simultaneously processed the apostle John whom he loved, and he said, Behold your mother, which is what we're doing on this Lord's Day. At the end of your life, Barbara Bush had said, you'll never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, not closing one more deal. You'll regret time not spent with a husband, a child, a friend, or a parent. But then in her own commencement, Jeb, I believe in Jesus. He is my Savior. I don't want to leave your dead, but I know my destination. I know it will be a beautiful place. Question Do you know your destination? The person of Chokmah does. Let's stand together. Thank you, Father, for mothers. You used Mary as the means by which you would bring Messiah into this world. We see Mary at the beginning, we see Mary at the cross. And then eventually after our Savior rose to be seated at the right hand of his Father on high, there's Mary in the upper room seeking you in prayer. What a model. Behold your mother. So, Father, whether our mothers are still with us or no longer with us, those words, behold your mother, stand out. But we have to remind ourselves of the Lord of motherhood, the one who died in our place for our sins. Make certain that the directions we've gained in life have been embraced and the destination we all will face in life is secure in you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they understand their destination. There is a contrast in eternity. And they will put their faith and trust exclusively in the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day.